This is the ZMAR Podcast. Elite Benefits of America helps small and mid-sized companies with their health insurance programs. And now, your host, Butch ZMAR. Life moves fast, and sometimes um, we get away with pure ignorance for a little while. It could also be laziness. So we're going to talk about whether certain things in business and obviously related to health insurance um, is related to ignorance is bliss or you're just being lazy, right? And so putting these show notes together, it reminded me uh, of a friend of mine that was in the the military and uh, he did, I think, 22 years. Um, He's a master chief, worked in the aviation world, but he uh, always had this quote, even when I was in, so we're talking about even early in the career, he always said, just do your job, all right? And he always said, no one cares, just do your job, right? And so it's definitely rings true across all spectrums and it goes for work or home or a family, right? Just do your job, right? Just, just quit being lazy, quit being ignorant, just, just do what you're supposed to do. And it goes, um, you know, with raising kids, right? And so you see things that they don't, right? And so we always say ignorance is bliss, right? And so, um, it could be a coworker in the workplace leaves a mess in the kitchen at the office and uh, is it really laziness or ignorance, right? Or your spouse that uh, always leaves that toothpaste uh, cap off. Uh, or like my wife, uh, she leaves trash in the door handle in my car. But is it lazy Lazy or uh, is it ignorance? I'm going to go with uh, ignorance on this where they just kind of miss it, right? When uh, I taught scuba classes, I haven't taught in a little while, but uh, for years I taught and probably I would guess thousands of students uh, throughout the years uh, that I was teaching and so you know in the basic class you know we teach that about scuba tanks and safety and all this stuff and so uh, people have a tendency because they don't know anymore uh, or any better rather Um, so ignorance is bliss in this case where you usually leave the tank standing uh, when you're setting up equipment but uh, we play this game in the scuba class uh, that uh, and usually we did it around donuts because there was always kids in the class and uh, who doesn't love donuts right and so uh, and the rule was is um, you know you know if anybody violated any of these rules uh, they would be required at the next class to bring um, donuts for the class so when we teach these scuba classes we usually start in the classroom so I'm just talking about pure basics day one we start in the classroom. A lot of the stuff is done online, so there are classes where the students already show up and all the academic portion of scuba diving is already complete. But there's still a classroom session. We go over important things before jumping into the pool. Um, some basic rules like never hold your breath, uh, never leave your tank standing, maybe demonstrate some of the skills in the classroom, and then remind them that all these skills, even though they might be eager and, and ready to demonstrate the skills themselves i will be demonstrating the skill first so it's a monkey see monkey do so we get out to the pool deck and i remind them again one of the important rules on the pool deck is never leave your tank standing and so guess what in every class there's always one that leaves their tank standing right so what we're trying to do is move from ignorance is bliss to situational awareness and situational awareness is a whole other topic and maybe i should talk that because situational awareness uh, was a little bit for me in the military, but not entirely. I mean, we had to watch out in the hangar bay for um, airplane wings and holes in the floor from for the chains and, and obviously the chains themselves. And then on the flight deck, you had to uh, keep your head on a swivel in case something was going on. But 
in scuba, there's a huge amount of situational awareness. Not only just setting up with gear and learning how to dive, but like you have to understand your entire surroundings. Same thing with you know driving or running a business or whatever it might be. The situational, you can't get complacent and and have tunnel vision. Uh, usually, um, things don't always work out well, especially when there's moving targets. So we don't leave the tank standing. Um, because it may fall, right? So I, I tell you, I, there's been plenty of times tanks have fallen and I bruise toes, um, and they're and it's really bad. Um, or you hurt your ankle in some capacity because it's a heavy tank. It's 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 not light. I mean, it could be sure as light as 30 pounds, but you know it could be 50 or 60 pounds, and so and it's just slamming on your foot. Just um, and usually on a pool deck, you don't have any shoes to help soften that blow, but it could also damage a tank, right? And so obviously in the class, there's a little bit of forgiveness, but somebody's got to pay for a tank, right? It once it's damaged because if it's damaged beyond repair, you got to replace it, right? So a tank usually starts out 150 to $200 a piece and they go up from there. It's expensive, right? It's not cheap just, you know, for a simple thing of just laying down your tank. Or even worse, the tank on the way down hits something, even the ground. It hits, just hit, hits it right the right way and it busts the handle and creates a leak inside the handle, even though there's o-rings in there to help keep it sealed but also if the valve actually got a good whack um, it could break the seal uh, around the neck of the tank and cause air leakage and if that occurs and hopefully it doesn't but if it occurred you know hopefully it's just minor and you're able to control it but we've been in situations not necessarily breaking uh, a, a tank falling and then damaged but we've had accidental opening of tanks um you know just from situational awareness mainly but um or lack of it but you get this gushing air it's super loud it's obnoxious i mean it's 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 crazy to the loud noise it's almost like uh piercing your ears in a lot of cases but it could also uh cause other issues like if the tank moves in a certain direction um it could actually start twirling which could cause other issues so obviously there's a reason for all this so bring your donuts right just to make sure that you remember in the hockey world, um, specifically youth hockey, you know, what makes it hockey so fun watching these little kids is, uh, one, they're having so fun, but uh, so much fun. But when they're younger, the, the fun, um, covers up a lot of other things. So ignorance is bliss there as well. Right. Um, they're actually exerting themselves, um, so much that there is no laziness involved, but it's just pure ignorance and we see it, but, uh, as they grow, they become more situationally aware and, they have to be right so they can get caught off guard it could be you know, when they start hitting it could be just what they call hockey sensing right there's definitely um certain things that develop over a period of time but again over a period of time you pick up on these things and and most of the things we've already talked about as long as you're utilizing the program to capacity scuba right as long as you're utilizing that program you're actually make an activity with it, you'll eventually pick up things that you didn't know or somebody will share with you along the way. So eventually you're not so ignorant and you become more you know, knowledgeable on the area and more proficient and confident and you're able to even share that with others. There's a big reason why 14-year-olds don't drive cars, at least legally, right? And so because they just haven't had enough life experiences. Uh, it is debatable whether a 16-year-old has enough life experience to start driving, but usually there's you know some element of responsibility that occurs during those age brackets. But I'm just saying over a period of time, there's 
it's ignorance is bliss when they start driving there's accidents that occur right and they learn as they move along but they still pick up things along the way that's why when you're 40 something years old you're a lot better driver than someone that's 16 because of those years of experience that goes by um, and you pick up things, right? You learn lessons learned. You may hear stories from other people and obviously just doing the activity, same thing with scuba, just by doing the activity, you get better. But there's people that uh, get health insurance all over America, right? Like there's most people that have never gone in their entire life without health insurance. Um, and that's common, um, more common than you think, right? Um, even though there are some people that do have gaps of insurance throughout the years, but but some people, you know, they'll have it literally 40 years and then all of a sudden they claim ignorance, right? And they're like, I don't know how this works, right? You know, 40 years, right, into this, right? And they still don't know how it works. I had a guy uh, we were talking to, he's a partner in a small firm and uh, he's in his late 50s. His business is coming back and went down with COVID and a whole bunch of stuff. His income just dropped to the floor. And so, uh, and revenue is bad. He laid a bunch of people off and he just didn't have enough cash flow to do anything with health insurance. He was on Medicaid for several years and, and that's what it's for. Medicaid, I always say Medicaid is like a band-aid. It bridges the gap when people are down um, financially, physically, whatever it might be. Uh, that's what it's for. Taxpayer dollars help fund that. Um, and then Medicaid, uh, I'm sorry, Medicare is, I always say Medicare cares for elderly. And so, um, and we'll get to um, some of the differences there uh, at some point. But so Medicaid, you know, it, it didn't take much to learn it other than it's an HMO product and you kind of work through it, but you didn't have to worry about anything, right? Things are getting better. And so he's looking at doing a small employer plan because he's expecting the hire and he's going to grow. And even though he's in his late 50s, he wants to give it one last push. Uh, for business. And so we're going over the proposal of um, health plans for his um, micro, uh, small little company. He starts asking questions about the health plan. He's confused about this deductible and this copay and this coinsurance and, you know, who's in network. Like just the questions were a little off base, if you ask me. Like people always have questions. They don't spend enough time. You could spend thirty thousand dollars a year on a car, and you'll know every button on it. You spend thirty thousand dollars on a health insurance, and then you shrug your shoulders. Um, it's amazing to me. And even over the years of paying thirty thousand dollars, you don't invest the time. And so I stopped at some point and asked him and said, "Were you on Medicaid your entire life?" And he said, "No." And I said, "How have you had a health insurance over the years?" And he said, well, mostly through an employer plan, either through my spouse or there was a time where he was working before he got into business uh, and occasionally on his own. And I asked him, you know, since you had a health insurance over the years, you, you would think you would have some basic knowledge with health insurance. He responded, uh, I have no idea how health insurance works. I mean, so you're talking about 40 years of having some element of health insurance and he still doesn't know. And I'm just making up 40 years. Who knows? It could be 45 or 50 years. And uh, that'll bring him back to the, his you know early 20s, maybe teens, maybe he got union job. Who knows? I, I don't know the whole story. I'm just trying to give you an example of having years of experience with something and then claim ignorance at the end. So I went over some things and mentioned if he wanted to learn more, he's going to have to go watch YouTube videos you know, we, we, we could spend a whole hour trying to explain how health insurance works and and and, and we're making, um, you know, it might we might make $400 for the whole year, right? It's just 
not um, best use of my time. Um, obviously, he wasn't in a position to pay for that time. And they're, they're basic stuff that you could find out on his own. Um, you know, just amazing that four years of having health insurance and he still doesn't know how it works, right? Is this ignorance um, or is it just being pure lazy, right? Um, there's a lot of people like this out there. And I'm not trying to pinpoint this guy in any fashion. You know, he's a respectful guy um, going through a small business process of ups and downs, and he's trying to get health insurance, right? And so what I'm just saying, this is um, a broad issue across the board. I'm sure some of it's really just ignorance, and in his mind it will be, but is it really bliss, right? Um, uh, I think it's purposeful uh, ignorance, which is what most people do. So let's talk about uh, employers. Are they ignorant about healthcare and employee benefit programs or just lazy to figure it out? Some employers in HR and CFOs are blinded by some employers, HR and CFOs are just blinded by the golf outings with their broker, the, the fancy gadgets that come in the mail or dropped off, or, you know, just blinded by pure ignorance in, in a lot of ways of what to do next. They're always assuming that the broker is going to do their the, the job and present the best plan that's available in the marketplace for the cost. And maybe they are, but how do you know? Like you've been with the same broker 30 years, whatever it might be. Is that ignorance or is it lazy um, to ask the questions and challenges? Of course, the, the common response is, well, I don't know what questions to ask. Well, you know, any company that um, has a financial incentive to be responsible for the company will figure out questions to ask when it's costing them money, whether it's expanding a warehouse, contracting a warehouse, uh, buying machinery, selling machinery. They're going to ask, they'll figure it out, right? They, they, they don't need to be brainiacs about whatever they're trying to do. It's just they, they, they'll roll up their sleeves and try to figure it out. But healthcare, forget it. Maybe the broker spreadsheeting plans, they'll compare it, right? Like, can they convince them one way or the other to switch plans or stay based on what's on a, on a comparison, right? And so, um, or the broker goes back and negotiates uh, rate reduction on the renewals, right? And so there's all this stuff that goes into it and you're trying to figure out what's the best deal and you're depending too much on ignorance uh, to make those kind of decisions. You don't even invest more time. There's uh, some of uh, my peers in the industry, they talk about companies spend more time planning their uh, company Christmas party than they ever do going through health care and the benefit package for their employees. And, and that's just a shame. It could also be because that's just the way it's been done for 50 years. You're like, really? Like, let me ask you for you to generate business in your company. Have you, are you still doing the same thing today as you were doing 50 years ago? I'm sure there might be different regime, different presidents, different CFOs, different HR over that time frame. But are you really doing the same thing uh, to recruit talent into the workplace, um, buying and selling goods? Uh, are you still doing it in the same process? Obviously, technology has changed, right? All this stuff, right? You're not doing it the same way. Why are you doing health insurance the same way? You don't have any reason to believe that you're not getting the best deal. Like, but how do you know, right? Like, how do you really have a financial interest in the something and then you really don't know or have clarity on the best thing that's available for you? But the biggest thing is going to happen is you have a question of, do you have to close your doors or find a new way? And that's usually when people can just get desperate enough and say, I can't do this anymore, right? Um, the big branded purple yoga, uh, logo on your insurance card doesn't appear to be so loyal anymore when finally when you have that financial decision to decide if you're shutting things down versus healthcare.
most businesses in business have a financial incentive to increase revenue, right? Just like your company, you're listening to this, you have a financial incentive to increase the revenue of the company. That's your job, right? Cost of services go up, you need employees, right? They need wage increases, they need to supply for their own family, they need food on the table, right? Um, this is not the era way back in the day before unions were developed where the Rockefellers of the world took advantage of employees, right? Like people, employees have a voice now. And so you have to increase to take care of them. You need to take care of yourself. You need to take care of your vendors and your customers, right? So all that costs money. And over time, you just have to increase what's, um, what you're selling goods for to increase revenue. What makes you think insurance companies are any different than that? They're in a business, profit or nonprofit. It doesn't make any difference. In fact, in a lot of cases, nonprofits are not pro not for profits. Insurance companies are could be um, worse off in practices than the for profit, meaning that they could actually make more money and profit more, but they have to hide the funds by using it because it's a they can't make a profit. And so, a lot of the not not for profit companies out there do the same thing. But insurance companies are no different. They're trying to increase their revenue in order to cover claims, but they need to do it at a profit, right? And so in order to increase that profit, they have to increase what they're doing. Well, yeah, as a side note, the Affordable Care Act gave them a highway to do it better. And so uh, in a nutshell, 80% of the revenue that comes in have to be escrow for claims. They have to be allotted. And if they have too much, they have to give it back, right? They can't, they, it's called the medical loss ratio. It's a refund check back to the policyholders. But the average refund check is less than 200 bucks a year for the whole entire family. So 20 bucks a month that they overcharge um, which costs the insurance company more in processing those payments than it does for the actual payments themselves. But 20% is where the profit comes in. Well, in order to increase the profits with inside the 20%, the overall revenue has to increase, right? So just picture this. So if you gave a kid in a, a bowl and put cereal in it, and you said you can only eat 20% of what's in the bowl, uh, the kid's going to come back and say, well, I'll just get a bigger bowl. And so essentially all these insurance companies just, just got a bigger bowl and they just keep increasing the size of the bowl so that their profits can keep going up, which means they're spending more on healthcare. And uh, as a result, your premiums are going to go up. There's no financial incentive to reverse the trend of healthcare uh, for when it comes to premiums and expenses. Providers have access to a larger purse and, uh, in theory of escrowing money and a required amount to spend money on claims, right? And so they know there's a bigger purse. Uh, regardless of which avenue, there's always a bigger purse. So uh, if you go on, on LinkedIn, uh, if you're on there, there's um, a gentleman by the name of Dr. Eric Bricker, uh, great guy. Uh, he does informational videos. He, he, he worked in hospital systems and he just talks about the healthcare programs in general. And he has been part of multiple companies and he get, brings a, a great perspective and he's doing videos all the time. I would encourage you to subscribe. He's got a newsletter. He sends these videos out too. But in this video, he talks about one hospital system, the second largest hospital system in the entire country. And when he compares the revenue streams from a global perspective, 50% of the revenue from, for this company and this hospital system was from taxpayer money. Uh, you got Medicare, Medicaid, VA, that, that 50% of the revenue. So there's a, obviously a huge chunk coming from taxpayers. 40% were actually coming from employer sponsored plans. 
and then 10% were cash payers or private insurance plans. And so you th think about it, the ones with bigger purses, uh, the ones that really have almost virtually unlimited funds, is 90% of their revenue. They can literally almost bill anything they want, and they're most likely going to get paid as long as it meets the boundaries that are set within the guidelines of submitting claims. They're going to get paid, right? So let's just figure out a way to spend more money, and all of a sudden there's this you know increase of spending, which means increase of payments from your health insurance plan, and then therefore increase in premium indirectly because of utilization. So there's just a lot of financial incentive for the pocketbooks and bigger purses that are there. Listen up, Butch wants to give you your own elite benefits playbook, and it's absolutely free. From business strategy to benefit strategy, every step from the start through implementation, account setup, and open enrollment, working through service requests and the process of renewals, a valuable look at your company, your insurance options, and how to make the process easier on you. Go now to EliteBenefits.net slash playbook and get your free Elite Benefits playbook or give Butch a call today, 708-535-3006. So Dr. Eric um, Bricker also pointed out uh, that most hospital systems can't tell you uh, the true cost of procedures. What an MRI is, what a CAT scan is, what a surgery's cost, you know, like, uh, the whole room, the surgeons, whatever. Um, but they could tell you what the revenue is worth, right? And so uh, I check out, it's, it's actually in a different video he did, but he talks about meetings when he worked at a hospital that uh, they strictly talked about revenue. They never talked even about patient outcomes, let alone even cost of services inside of a hospital. It was what each doctor in that room was worth to the um, to the hospital system based on a revenue stream, not on again you know uh, cancer recoveries or surgery successes or um, mishaps where they had to have multiple surgeries because they didn't get it the first time. None of that's measured. None of it. It's just based on how much revenue is coming in. So if the insurance companies want to increase revenue, uh, as you do for your own company, do you, who do you think has the more financial incentive to actually lower the cost? There isn't any. So who's going to take that responsibility, right? I always say CFOs should get fired because they should be at the business table, right? Or the owner or whoever's in charge financially for the company. Who's writing the checks? Who's signing those checks? So who's going to be responsible? Um, are, you, are you going to keep doing it the same way, same broker? You know, maybe maybe ignorance is bliss, but you know you have to look at it. maybe there's laziness involved, lazy because there's no financial incentive to do it. I mean, a lot of brokers are still making a percentage on what they're actually doing. So if they get a uh, if you get a ten percent increase in your healthcare um, premiums, they're going to get a ten percent bump in their uh, commissions. And I'm not saying that's terrible. I'm not saying they're evil for taking commissions. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that where's the financial incentive of the stream that comes in? That's why a lot of brokers have gone to a per head or a, a blanket retainer cost um, per the number of employees. So it's based on the, the number of employees versus what, what you're actually paying in healthcare. In some cases, who cares what you're paying health healthcare? Uh, it, a broker could come in and save you 90% of what you're paying. And there's a value to that. But it shouldn't be tied to what you're paying in healthcare. Um, but if you strategize some other things and your cost doesn't go anywhere and, but you're headed in a better direction than you were before, there's value involved in that. So the broker needs to get paid. It's just a matter of what they're doing for that money. And, um, 
you know, whether the 10% increase is justifiable. And then obviously getting data, right? And if there's a 10% increase, there's got to be a reason for it. So they have to produce data. Right now, they just send you a letter saying the cost of services are going up in an area. So therefore, we have to charge you more money. But that's it. There's no financial data related to the companies and the employees that you're trying to serve uh, and provide this benefit. So uh, I task uh, the employers and CFOs, HRs, anybody that's listening to this, um, to take on that financial incentive or that challenge against the uh, status quo. Look for better opportunities. Uh, many, many other companies have great success looking outside the box to find better opportunities. In fact, they've actually eliminated out-of-pocket expenses and in a lot of cases lifted the network requirements. So you go anywhere in the country and then still lower cost. It just doesn't have a fancy purple logo on the card. So they're outliers from a minority perspective, uh, but more and more are making this move because they're just getting tired of healthcare costs. So are you ready to not claim ignorance uh, or be lazy? 